Hey guys, and welcome to the 12th underrated minisode. I'm your host, Gabriel Green, and I'm here with my co-host, James Hamrick, and we are just your friendly uh, neighborhood podcasters. Uh, what's up, man? Nothing much. How's it, go- uh, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm very excited to talk about this film here. So uh, we do these at minisodes so that we can get a chance to talk about films that are either like new releases or that just don't, that aren't necessarily underrated, but uh, they don't fit into the mold that we can just kind of have a chance to branch out. Uh, and today we are talking about the latest film in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Spider-Man Homecoming. And let's just dive right into it. Spider-Man Homecoming was directed by John Watts on a budget of $175 million, and it's making lots and lots of money for the dear overlords at the Disney Corporation. It's actually, no, it's all going to Sony, but still, it's making a lot of money. <laughs> they're they're going to make money off of it somehow. It stars Tom Holland, Michael Keaton, Jacob Batalon, Robert Downey Jr., John Favreau, Marissa Tomei, Laura Harrier, Zendaya, Tony Revolori, Donald Glover, as well as some appearances from Chris Evans and Gwyneth Paltrow, which was a surprise, a really good surprise. But uh, Yeah, I, I really liked her inclusion. Uh, it was written by Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, John Watts, Christopher Ford, Chris McKenna, and Eric Summers. There are six credited writers in this movie. Yeah, I, 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 I cannot believe it because this feels like kind of a single, a one writer-director project. I was going to say, is, yeah, the, the humor feels very consistent. The whole thing feels pretty focused. Yeah, which is, then you have like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is a, a one writer-director, and it feels like six writers. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then it was shot by Salvatore Tortino, and the score was composed by Michael Giacchino, who is awesome, but uh, he's only okay here. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, film is the product of the, the this deal that was struck between Sony and Marvel, which is allowing uh, Spider-Man to join the MCU. And I just actually learned this today that Sony is keeping all of the money from this. So I guess... I'm guessing that they basically pr- paid for the production costs and then they get to keep all of the uh, profits or something. And I guess that this is just really good publicity for Marvel or something. Yeah, I, I heard the like the way it worked was that if Spider-Man appears in like the Marvel movies, then Marvel gets all of the money. And whenever he's in his own solo movie, then Sony gets all the money. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. So it, and, you know, uh, Marvel gets all the praise because they're making these beautiful adaptations of the characters. Uh, we get good movies. Sony gets money and everybody's happy except Andrew Garfield, of course. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't feel bad. Too bad. He got a he's doing pretty well. Yeah. So what did uh, you think of this movie? I like this one a lot. I put it, I think, just in the upper half of all of them. I think it's like at number eight on my list, which Mm -hmm. honestly sounds like not fantastic, but given that I actually really love all but like one of them, it's, it's a really good place to be. The one Um, you should like actually. Oh no, not even, but uh, no, I was very pleased with the movie. Yeah. It is also at my number eight and we'll get into all of why, but again, that's not an insult. These are, you know, some of the most enjoyable films you'll find. So, being in the, right, being right in the middle is is very good. Um, so just to you know go into the cast, which I think is probably the main reason this movie is so enjoyable, is you know starting off with Tom Holland. This kid is incredible. He has this just insane level of enthusiasm. He's like, oh my god, look! The, the Captain America came. And he swooped down. And then, oh my gosh, that guy's big. It's just he's there's such a 
a joyful, youthful energy in everything he does. This is a kid who found out that he's Spider-Man and he's having a blast being Spider-Man. It's, it's amazing. It's just, it's so, it's so much just, it's so joyful just to watch this kid be happy and be excited about life in this movie. He's one of the easiest characters to root for. Like, he is so infinitely likable. Um, and I, he's probably my favorite thing about the movie. Uh, like, you said, just the enthusiasm that he brings to everything. And it's like, it's never too much. It's never over the top to the point of being annoying. Um, it feels like a kid. This is the first time in any of the Spider-Man movies I'm like, okay, this is a, this is a high schooler. This is a high schooler who's Spider-Man now. <laughs> well, you, you didn't believe Andrew Garfield was 15 or whatever, 17? Man, you know, believe it or not, I didn't think that that 30-year-old man belonged in high school. Yeah. I mean, I, I like both actors, but I, yeah, th- this this is a high school film. And, and, you know, that's kind of the thing that, like, the Tobey Maguire films, it starts off in high school, but then kind of quietly phases out of in the middle of the first one. This one just completely embraces that. And I was listening to um, interviews with John Watts, and he was talking about how he took so many influences from kind of the the, uh, the high school films of the 80s and 90s, you know. And you can tell at this film's core, it's about kids. The, the things they care about, the uh, the big conflicts and crises they have are small things that, that, that kids care about. I really like that dynamic that it has. Yeah, it's – so I, I do have just a couple problems with the um... – some of the kids, I think sometimes it felt too much like these are kids in high school. This is the way they joke. But it was almost more of just like the kind of, I guess, background characters. But in terms of like the actual leads, like Peter and his friend Ned. and Like, for for example, what would that be? Um, well, just like, so the, the scene where they were talking about uh, like uh, F. Thor, Mary Steve. Like, so it, it's like, I don't know, it felt a little bit exaggerated it was it was the way that i wouldn't describe tom holland like he felt like perfect everything he did i was like this is a real kid and then sometimes with like the background characters and the way everyone else was kind of reacting around him it felt a little bit more of like the this is the exaggerated version of high school that's not as real as this this main character but uh back to like the other like lead high school kids I really did like the dynamic that they had because it was, I don't know, it, it felt like the same kind of tone of like, you know, a John Hughes 80s movie, but updated. It wasn't like it was trying to live in that era and just mimic it. It was taking what that what those kind of movies did, which is just capture the spirit of high school and the way, you know, a person would think and update it for the modern audience. So it was like, it was borrowing the idea but not the actual material um and so whenever they say it's like it's almost an homage to that kind of era i like it a lot and i like the way they do it where it's not it's not just mimicking it it's respecting it and updating it in a way that um that works for the movie itself it doesn't exist just to remind us of something else yeah, I mean, kids are still kids. Even the, the specifics of the things they care about might change, but you know, the overall, they're, they're, the things that, that mean a lot to them are still the same, especially when they put in that circumstance. 
Um, yeah, and as far as the, the supporting cast, uh, Jacob Batalon as uh, Ned is he that character could have been so bad, and he he never is. I, he's him and uh, Tom Holland have really fantastic chemistry, especially just comedic uh, chemistry. They're so funny together, um, and th- this is I think this is up there with. Mar- with I think the funniest Marvel films, but we we complained about this a lot in Guardians of the Galaxy two. I don't really remember any scene that had jokes that really hurt the drama or damaged the tone. It's there are there's constant humor, but it feels very organic to the film. And I mean a lot of it's just a lot of it's from the cast. The, and these kids are just really funny, and they have, all have great chemistry together. They feel like people who have been together for years and like actual best friends. Yeah, I I completely believe that they are best friends. Uh, it it felt like they just auditioned together, and they've already known each other for forever. And I think that of all of Marvel's movies, this one has some of the best use of humor, because to me, one of my issues with Guardians of the Galaxy two was that scenes sometimes the scene felt like it existed for a joke like the only reason this scene is even here is so they can tell a joke whereas in this one it felt like the joke exists to help the scene like the humor is here to inform the like us about the characters to help the relationships grow to tell us like you know to give these characters personality it's not just because we need to make the audience laugh right now it's based on the characters we've presented in this movie this is what's going to happen it's going to be funny with these these, this situation and these people. And I just, like you said, it never, ever came at the cost of the drama. Um, and it, most of the humor is just really well written. It's why I, I vastly prefer British comedy to American comedy, you know, is because the, the, the jokes are actually written. They're not all improvised on set. And when you, when you have jokes that are planned out, you could plan the scene around them, but the, and then just you just hit them and you move on. You don't have to feel like you have to stop and, like, wait for a laugh. This, the jokes just kind of come really fast and keep going, and there's also a lot of like, good visual, visual humor, like the scene where uh, Captain America is uh, doing his uh, fitness uh, video and he gestures to this to, to my good friend, your gym teacher, <laughs> and gestures to the right and the guys on the left. It reminded me a lot of the scene in Baby Driver when uh, John Bernthal points forward and he backs up. It's just little clever things that you you might not even notice first time watching. And the the film doesn't call attention. They're just these little bits of humor that are in the uh, fabric of the movie, and it just makes the whole experience very enjoyable. Yeah, it, the movie is completely aware of what's going on around it, and I, I do I really like jokes that don't call attention to themselves because then when you kind of catch it, it's that aha moment. It makes it that much funnier. Um, and to me, it's just it shows a level of attention to, to detail that the director has. Um, that that's a detail that may not even go noticed, but it's something that he's going to put in there because he cares about the movie and he's going to notice it. Yeah, and, and, and just uh, that should be rooted. John Watts is, I, I have some issues with him as just the visual filmmaking, but w- the way he has an incredibly firm handle of the film's tone and direction. There, it, there, there were never really times where I felt just like, okay, where's the film going? I'm. It just kind of feels kind of pointless. There's, it's always moving. It's always going somewhere. And then there's just the, the balance of humor and and the, the moments of, that it does get serious. I, th- I found very, very confident. And uh, just 
he made he made a really solid high school movie, and then the 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 other stuff. So let's get into the action later and just finish off with the cast now. Another big person we should probably mention is Michael Keaton. Uh, I'd say one of Marvel's best villains. I would I would put him third after uh, Loki and Zemo. <laughs> I know you you definitely agree with the second one there, but uh oh yeah absolutely yeah you, no but, he's he's a solid number two here. <laughs> Obviously, saying he's a great Marvel villain unfortunately doesn't mean a lot. Sadly, but he is very good here. Um, first off, he's Michael Keaton, and Michael Keaton is amazing. I he's just such a fun person to watch which is weird because the only pre like 2014 michael keaton performance i've seen is beetlejuice everything else has been like robocop (laughs) uh birdman the founder and spotlight but even so he's one of my favorite actors now because he has been so good in all of those films yeah he's so like he's so focused and dedicated to the roles he plays and Man, I, one of the things that just made me so happy walking out of the theater was like, I like this villain. Well, I, like beyond that, I love this villain. This, he was, I think what what I've noticed now is if you're going to do a Spider-Man villain, have him relate personally to Peter because Green Goblin was his best friend's dad, Doc Ock was his mentor, and now this was his girlfriend's dad. Like with uh, with Michael Keaton, what I, what are the things that just that it makes me so happy to say about him is he's actually a character. He is, he is a real person. He, he's in the movie. Like obviously his big role is, is to be an antagonist, but a lot of the other villains just feel like we need an antagonist. We need a physical embodiment for the hero to, to fight. They're not even going to be like, they're going to be reduced to a plan. They're not, and, and like a poorly written plan at that. But they never feel like characters. He could have gone that way. But they ended up doing so much more with him than that. Like I remember uh, whenever Peter opens the door and we see him there. I was like okay. This is like did he find out what like who he was or whatever. But it turns out it was Liz's dad. I'm like oh they're actually like using him. In an important part of the story, like he's gone beyond just like this external force that exists outside of Peter's actual story in the movie. And he's like a major character, a major player in the emotional story of what's going on. And then the scene they share in the car is just so good. Yeah, that was my first thought, you know, oh no, Green Goblin's got MJ kind of thing. But then it's like, oh wait, he's her dad? (gasps) Oh, wow. And yeah, the, the, the scene in the car is incredible. Uh, both um, both Tom Holland and Michael Keaton are so good. And what I like is that the entire time you're like Tom, like Peter, just smile, act like a human being. But this is how a kid would act if he just realized that his girlfriend's dad is the supervillain. He wouldn't be. He he's not an actor. He wouldn't be able to control himself, and it, it all makes sense. And you you're like frustrated with how just how obvious he's being. At this kid is not this kid. There's something wrong with this kid. Yeah, and it's uh, the tension in that scene. It's so unnerving. It's there's two different ways that you can get you know annoyed at a character in a movie. One is like 
no one acts like this. You know, I'm mad at the movie. Like, I'm mad at the director for portraying a character this way. But in this, you're like, you're yelling at Peter, but in the way that the movie wants you to yell at Peter. Like, you're supposed to be like, no, no, he's no... Like, it. you almost feel like you're becoming more invested and involved in the movie. You're really caring about what's going on. And mm-hmm. there's just so much good acting going on there. Uh, yeah, and I, I like that... Uh, I don't even remember his actual name. Just I'll call him Michael Keaton. Adrian Toomes. I, I like Toomes. I like that he doesn't have to make some absurd, ridiculous leap of logic to figure out that this kid's Spider-Man. Like everything in that scene is actually, even without it ever being explicitly stated, kind of points to this character being that in a way that, like, that is subtle enough that, like, uh, Liz wouldn't understand, and just. The back and forth between his eyes in the mirror and like just Peter just sweating in the seat is so good. Yeah, it to me it was very reminiscent of the scene from Raimi's first Spider-Man when Willem Dafoe asked him how he got that cut. It's like, ah, oh, this is this is how you do the reveal where it's like, like you said, it's not this this crazy like aha, I'm gonna make this huge leap and act on it as if. Like, I'm, I'm going to make this decision that no one else would make about this character. I'm going to do it just because the movie wants me to. Where you kind of, you see, you can see their mind working. Like, you look at Keaton's face and the way his eyes are looking back and forth and the way his expressions subtly change. Like, you can physically watch him put the pieces together. Uh, and I remember, like, consistently guessing, like, does he know now? Is he unsure? Like, you keep wondering when is he going to finally be like, this is him. Uh, I, I could talk about how much that, like how well done that scene was for forever. Yeah, I love that he isn't evil. He's just, a, I mean, he's a very unscrupulous and immoral person, but he's, he started out as a guy who just wanted to provide for his family and then the, the government completely screwed him over. So he's like, okay, I'm going to sell weapons because I have an opportunity. I'm going to take it. And, and you see that he he actually really loves cares about his family. He loves his daughter. He actually has a decent relationship with his daughter. You know, they like each other. And he's not going to oh you're, you're I'm not he's not going to pull a kid out of the car and kill him just because he's been a problem. He I mean he he definitely threatens him and that's an awesome scene. But he said you know you saved my daughter's life and that 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 actually means something to him because he's an actual person with feelings and cares and wants and desires, and so. He doesn't, he, he, you know, offers him a chance. He's like, you know, just go have a date. Just have a good night. Okay. <laughs> and afterwards, even as it goes on and he has chances to kill him, but nor- normally it gets frustrated when a villain has a chance to take out the hero and they don't. But here it makes sense. He knows that Peter is just a really good kid and that he's just a kid and he doesn't, he doesn't want to kill a kid. He will if maybe if he has to. But, you know, that, that, that's not what he's here for. He's not here to be evil. He's here because he thinks this is the best way to take care of what's his. Yeah, I love the motivations that they gave him where he really doesn't look at what he's doing as any different than what people like the Avengers are doing. You know, they come and they make a mess and they profit on their own mess. Why can't I profit on their mess? Uh, especially if, you know, when he he's kind of views them like they're they're the upper class they don't understand the struggle. Like, if if these high and mighty people can profit off of their own mistakes, certainly there's absolutely nothing wrong with someone like me 
you know, this blue-collar worker profiting off of it. Um, and it really makes sense. And then uh, one last thing that I just want to talk about Michael Keaton uh, is I love everything before he finds out that he's Spider-Man as well. Like, he plays the, just this dad so well. <laughs> where it's not the show, it's like... Pedro, right? Yeah, like, he's just making cheesy dad jokes. And that's, I think... You know, he was he was a good villain before then, but I think that scene is when he became like a legit, like great character. Because he was just a normal person and you realize that he has a life outside of this that's actually being explored. Yeah. Um then I I'll just quickly go through a few others. Um actually not quickly. I have to talk about Robert Downey Jr. Because he's here and he's amazing. Uh, everyone's amazing in this movie. Um that that scene in the car is one of my favorite scenes, but I think all my other favorite scenes in this movie are the ones between uh, Tom Holland and Robert Downey Jr. Um, it is so wonderful to, after all these films, to still be seeing new dimensions to the characters that we've been watching. Like, I didn't know that Tony Stark had this mentor uh, figure in him, but he has it. And he's still, it's not like he's become a different character. He is still very much Tony Stark, but he's also a really cool mentor. And you see kind of his, his fatherly instincts coming out. All of their scenes when they're interacting, and he's like, oh my gosh, I sound like my dad. <laughs> they're just, they're really good together. It's, it's exactly how this character, after we've seen him over the course of how, however many movies now, would be a mentor. Like you said, it's not, it's not this entirely new character that's just appeared on screen because they need here's here's an additional layer to this character that doesn't make sense it's well if this character that we've come to know over you know 16 movies at this point had to take on this role this is how he would act and it does take into account you know the maturity he's had this isn't you know iron man one tony stark being a mentor this is the tony stark who's just experienced civil war being a mentor and you know he it's not an enormous role but like going Tony Stark if if this movie didn't exist we'd get a different Tony Stark in um the new Avengers Infinity War because there's mm-hmm. le- yeah. there's legitimate character development like he he has new responsibility and a new amount of maturity and development in this movie just as a side character that's how much they care about this this character that they've fostered over so many years yeah i i like how and you definitely you can see growth from Civil War. Like this is Tony, who has been through all this trauma, and you know is kind of has has found some kind of stability. Is trying to rebuild, and I think this might be the healthiest we have seen him like psychologically since maybe the Avengers. You know, he, he's been really he's like been in constant turmoil over you know Iron Man three, Age of Ultron, Civil War, and now. It was really refreshing to see him, you know, he's kind of, he's he's found a groove again. And that was really nice to see that they could fit that into this film. And, you know, as you said, to have him grow. And, you know, I like how for the first two scenes, he's just completely, he's really glib with Parker. Like, th- that's just his personality. And even though he, he takes what he says seriously, um, even though uh, Peter doesn't know it, but he kind of just, pretends to brush him off then then calls the feds but then at when it happens you know at the boat scene where he realizes oh my gosh this kid's this kid's a lot more powerful and dangerous than i could have expected 
it's a really, really great scene of them together where he's, he's trying, you know, in that moment, he's trying to be cap for this kid. He's trying to be what this kid needs to go on this next step. And I, I love the scene where, uh, where Peter's like, you know, if you really cared, you'd be here. And he just like steps out in such an, an intimidating fashion. He's like, yeah, what were you saying, punk? And, and you know, the fact, I like that he, you know, he takes his armor and kind of forces Peter back to his roots. Um, like, you know, he obviously never didn't really mean forever, but he, he's just doing, he's trying, he's trying to be a father figure for this kid. And I think he does actually a surprisingly good job for being Tony Stark. Yeah. And so something else that I just thought was really impressive about what they were able to do is they worked like Tony's arc into this story in a way that made sense. Like whenever he says, I'm nothing without this suit, that's that's a statement that belongs in an Iron Man movie. Just as much Iron Man three. Exactly. And so it's they find a way to take to have the lessons that Tony's learned over his arc over all these movies and work it seamlessly into this movie. So when he's when he says, if you're nothing without the suit, then you don't deserve it. That's not a throwaway line. That's something that means something that he's learned over the like four movies or four or five movies at that point and so you know it's i just think it's it's really cool that only tony could have said that in this movie and have had that impact and it's it it works both for his character and spider-man's character yeah um was that was that the only one that was kind of disappointed that we didn't get uh, more aunt may and not just because she's incredibly attractive okay (laughs) I I wanted their relationship to be developed a little more cuz I I too was I was expecting a lot more um and I'm still not really sure who she is as a character yet. Yeah, I I she only gets like maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes of screen time. I I don't even think 15. I'd say about 10 minutes of screen time. And most of it is just kind of, you know, balancing that does she know we got we can't let, we can't let her know that what I'm doing kind of thing? We never really get her as a character. Like, like I think both previous Aunt Mays had more more to do, more characterization, and more and more. What what that I really wanted was more input into Peter's character. She is pretty much inconsequential to who Peter is and the arc he goes on and his growth on this film. But I I, I think she needs to be more. That. I think she needs to be that rock that Peter goes back to. When he's hurt, when he's lost his friends, you know, when, when things have happened to him, he needs to be able to go back to her because he's still just a kid. He needs that parental figure. And she's just, she, she's kind of wasn't terribly present in the film. And I, I really like Marissa Tomei in the role, but it's just the film didn't seem to know what to do with her. Yeah, I mean, you could catch glimpses of like this, this relationship with these characters. And I definitely buy that they love each other. It's just the movie clearly cared a lot more about Peter and it just kind of, it seemed like she was reduced to like, I'm here to kind of be this quirky person who doesn't know I'm pretty like, here's these weird, funny jokes. And that's about it. Like she was almost just used for this weird kind of humor. And like the same, like it was just the same kind of joke again and again. And then, like you said, overall inconsequential to the actual story and to who he is. Yeah. And I uh, finally, there's a Zendaya. Um, I, 
I her role could have so easily just come across as like self just self righteous and annoying, and she definitely is self righteous and annoying. But I think they they use her pretty well to where she's just she's just kind of there, and she'll have her funny quip and then goes in the background. Like I like the scene where he he peeks in through the uh, window at uh the homecoming. She just kind of waves at him and gives him the middle finger. <laughs> it's and actually, and then at first I was like, wait, she's MJ. Okay, I guess that's what they're doing now. I don't, I don't, but then on second watch, watching her, you could actually tell she was kind of always watching Peter and like going out of her way to constantly inter- find excuses to interact with him, mostly to mock him. But uh, you can kind of tell that there is a crush there, even though it, it is very subtle, though. I didn't even notice it the first time. So uh, I, I did read something from Kevin Feige recently where he says like this isn't the new mj like the whole point of giving her the initials of mj is to kind of remind you of the relationships that peter's had in the comic books and maybe give you a hint at the kind of dynamic to expect without actually like in case they want to use the character of mary jane they they still have their out to do so because i was i'm not gonna lie i was kind of annoyed when she says oh i go by mj and it was the exact same kind of annoyed i was at the end of Dark Knight Rises, where she says, "Oh, you should use your real name, Robin." <laughs> it's not. I'm like, that's that's not how you do comic book. Like, it's like you're essentially saying, "Hey, remember this character that you like from the comics? Here's a needless change to them. That's really not going to benefit anybody." I don't read comics, so I don't care. <laughs> well, I, 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 I feel attached to to the character of Mary Jane. I, I grew up with a '90s uh, Spider-Man cartoon show. It's still unpopular opinion i think it rivals batman the animated series um and so i like that character and one of my favorite things about getting these these bigger movies is to see these characters that i grew up with like translated on the big screen so then when you're like oh you know this character that you like here's a name change and she's not even the same kind of person at all so (laughs) i am still kind of happy that they they're still giving themselves an out in case they want to bring in the real Mary Jane. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so just uh, moving on. I, I mentioned before that I, I do like John Watts direction. I think you know, as I said he has a very strong control over this, over the plot and the story and, you know, the, uh, just the tone. One thing that did disappoint me, which was the action. Um, I think it's, it's never bad. And there are a lot of cool, creative things happening within it, but just visually, it's incredibly flat and bland. I think, and you, especially when you have Sam Raimi and the insane dynamic work he did in the first three, or even Mark Webb. I think Mark Webb had a really good eye for the Spider-Man choreography. Here, it's just yeah, it, it's not bad. There's nothing bad I can point to, but it just felt really flat and boring. Yeah, so there's a lot that I would like to say about his direction in the movie. And before I get into the negatives, because I I do have a couple of negatives as well, I do want to say, and you had already mentioned it, that the way he directs the movie and has it, like, the way he has it flow is really, really good. Like, opening up with this scene to set up the villain, then going into Spider-Man, then reintegrating the villain into it, and balancing this idea of his high school life with the villain's motivation... And him being Spider-Man fitting into Tony Stark. Like, there's so much going on, and it's constantly moving, and it never feels convoluted. Like, he definitely deserves some praise for that. Um, But to get to the negatives, 
it is weird because it's like whenever spider-man is alone and he's just kind of doing his thing it's cool like watching him spin around the scene where he's on the national monument i love that like it made me kind of sit down in my seat like and tuck my head in just i felt like i was 500 feet in the air um and and just watching him swing around and run and jump over rooftops and everything it's really fun but then the second you actually put action like a second person in there like the vulture all of a sudden it he like zooms the camera completely in sets it entirely at night and just shakes it around i i don't think there was any shake cam i don't, I, I don't think that was the issue well maybe not so the the camera itself i guess wasn't shaking it's just it felt like the camera just needed to be pulled back because it even if it wasn't shaking it at least to me and part of this may be that i was forced to sit fairly close to the screen but it felt like it had the same effect. Like the camera may have been completely still, but the characters were just, you know, they're making the motions that you would make when you're fighting, when like a person with the abilities of Spider-Man is fighting someone with these robotic wings. It's a lot that's going on the screen and the wings stretch so wide and Spider-Man jumps around so much and it's in the, like, you know, they're on a plane. It's a big dynamic fight and the camera just needed to be pulled back so we could see what's going on. And I just... I don't remember anything memorable about that fight. And like you said, it's it's not on the movie. The movie can't control what what movies preceded it. But man, when we have scenes like the train scene from Spider-Man 2, we, we've come to expect a certain amount of like stylish and well-choreographed action from this character. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know that I totally agree with you on the... Or like the, the scene on the boat... I think it's fairly clearly presented. It's just kind of all shot in these mediums with very little interesting camera work. Just kind of what it shows what happens and nothing more. But yeah, the last scene on the plane, first of all, I do really like the cloaking mechanism. I think it's a very interesting creative choice, like visual choice that, but it did make that last fight scene almost unwatchable because it's it's just it's it's literally like a strobe, and it was via, similarly to uh to the, the sparks in um in Doctor Strange where the camera work is fine. It's just I, there's so much visual noise going on and not enough dynamic camera work and and use of composition for me to exactly tell what is happening within the frame. You you get the general idea, but it's just it's just a lot of noise thrown at your face and it's hard to follow which is kind of the effect that's about where it's like the camera itself isn't shaking it's just i'm getting the exact amount of information i would be if it was just because what's happening in front of me isn't entirely clear um and i couldn't i couldn't really tell any sort of ebb and flow in the battle and what was going on there like i i had no idea who had the upper hand or what was going on mostly <laughs> yeah. Um but to make up for that they do make a lot of creative use of the suit of the his powers and abilities as well as the vulture's um suit. I thought just how they used them in the fight was very good. Um like or or not even the fight just exploring Spider-Man's suit with uh Karen, which is I like I really like Karen. It's funny, she's voiced by Jennifer Connelly, who is Paul Bettany's wife, actually. 
which is uh, such but, a funny like Easter egg that's just so easy to not even realize as an Easter egg. Yeah, um, but they had a really cute dynamic. I love it. Like, is that Liz? You should tell her how you feel. You should kiss her now. <laughs> uh, but just learning all the crazy things his suit can do and just, you know, how he is the excited teenager as he's learning what he can do. And um, there's a lot of joy just taken in the fact that he is Spider-Man and he could do this cool stuff. This is awesome. Um, and so, and we just saw a lot of cool things, you know, or just how they use the thing like, what would Spider-Man do if there are no tall buildings? Well, I guess he'd have to run. <laughs> and I can't believe we've had five Spider-Man films and we've never addressed that yet. And that was that was such a funny... Like, I love having... A, it's almost reminiscent of the exact scene from uh, Ferris Bueller that they showed as he's going by, just this long take of him running across the scene. Uh, it's so funny, though. Yeah. Um... And I, 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 as much as I didn't care for the action, I did like the weird physicality of Vulture's wings. Just the different things he could do, like when he uses them as claws on the plane. Like, like it was like almost like a bat, just climbing along, or the way he would like slice the web. It, it was, it, it was creative. They definitely didn't. They, even if he doesn't have the visual chops to make it like incredible, he didn't phone in the action scenes at least. Yeah. And I just, I really, really like the design. This this was a case in which you do not do a direct translation from the comic books because it would just, I, I just don't want to see Michael Keaton in that comic book suit. And this was a way where it's, it's very clearly that character and it's respecting that character, but it looks way cooler. Uh, and he, he was just threatening. He looked menacingly when you see him spread his wings completely across and you see all the like the mechanics of the suit and this helmet and the jacket that he wears like it's he's just a really cool character. And I I like it when villains have really cool silhouettes and when you see him when you see him there, you know exactly who it is. And it's that character had a lot of thought put into what he looked like and the way he moves. Yeah, and the sound design of the suit was really distinctive and legitimately creepy and scary. And something else that I that I really liked about this movie that I definitely wanted to mention before we ended was um, what what I love that this did is this is something that I liked a lot about the Raimi's movies, which is New York itself meant something in this movie. You know, in in uh, Sam Raimi's movies, you had even if they're not particularly like given a, if, if they're not given a lot of depth, they're there and they're part of the city that help help create you know create the sense of a living city. Whether it's the the pizza owner, or the guy he owes rent to, or just you mess with one of us, <laughs> you mess with all of us. Yeah, like and it it felt like that. Like it felt like it mattered to the story. And uh, I think, honestly, a montage goes a long way. Hey, you that spider guy from YouTube? <laughs> Do a backflip. Like, like how excited he was to see this. Because I had never thought about that. Like the idea of living in a city where, like, who knows? Maybe if you look up, you see this guy. Like, what would you do? Or like, hey, can you do something? For, like, can you do a flip? What can you? Like, I want to see something. And get so excited to see that. That was really funny. And it, it reminded me. it reminded me of the scene from the first one. 
where it is just a montage of like people giving their opinions about Spider-Man kind of interspersed with just little clips of Spider-Man swinging around New York doing his thing. It, it felt a lot like that. We just see him, you know, swinging by and talking to the people who are waiting on a train or exactly that, like him just kind of hanging out on this rooftop, getting spotted by this other guy. And, and then him interacting and saving somebody who is actually part of Peter's own personal life. There were these, it felt like a fully lived in city. So that when you say like, oh, he's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, it means something like this is a neighborhood with different people with distinct personalities. Uh, and I love the Stanley cameo. <laughs> so he's even kind of messing up and helping like the smaller, like the, the small guy who's, he's actually the victim or not, not the victim, but he's, he's hurting the wrong person and he's still, he's learning the ropes as he's interacting with this, this group of people is just, I, I loved all of that, that the, the characters who aren't the superheroes or aren't the villains or the, like the main side characters, they're still not entirely irrelevant. They mean something here. And that's why when he de uh, declines being an Avenger at the end, you kind of understand why, like, I'm going to be the here, the, the little guy. And it means something because we've actually shown the little guy for at least a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I love how completely clumsy he is in this movie. Like every scene, he is constantly falling on his face. And things are breaking. He's tripping. He's, but he just keeps on going. This is, he is a kid. It's, it's, it's like, you know, watching your uh, little toddlers play. They'll just fall on their face and just jump back up and keep running. They don't. And he's, he's like that. He's, he's, he doesn't know. He has no idea what he's doing. Like both previous Spider-Man films, once they get the suit, they're pretty much perfect. And they have this beautiful choreography. And this, I, I think this is also more realistic in that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's constantly messing up and he's, he's just, just fall, falling forward, trying to get the job done. And he has, there's just so much heart into how he, how he plays the character. Uh, just one little thing I wanted to mention about the action, just a little touch they had is that I don't think anything really happens in this movie that wasn't at least foreshadowed before, at least with the tech, like it's happened so often, like, in in the middle of an action scene, someone will pull out a piece of cool tech. You're like, huh, I didn't know you had that. I guess you have it now. But like in this movie, everything was foreshadowed, like the taser web or the web grenade or those little portal rocks or whatever they were. <laughs> or the, the, the high altitude vacuum seal, which was a funny little thing that kept coming up. You know, this, the, the nerd who always wanted to make this cool thing and then he finally gets to. It it, it made the world feel, all the technology feel so much more real because we, we always saw it beforehand before it was actually used in combat. And it, it all looks really cool too. Like, you know, we've already seen five movies at this point. How much, how much more different can they make this Spider-Man? And I think by going a lot more in-depth to like the technical side of, you know, his, well, I guess not his powers, but you know, his gadgets and stuff and the different things he can do with his webs. It was cool to see that because that's, that's in the comic books a lot too, like web grenades and all that. So to see the finally, you know, it took six movies or seven movies, I guess, kind of Civil War, but we're, we're seeing all the different crazy stuff that, you know, I'm used to seeing in the cartoons and things like that and the movies fully embracing all this fun technology that comes with the character. And they had the perfect excuse, Tony Stark. Yeah, it, it, it all works well. There's no way Peter Parker can come up with all that yet. Um, 
it's a, just and then I guess just to get into the thing that um that is I guess my biggest pro- it's not I don't even know if it's not a like actual flaw like I could say this is a problem within the film but I think it, I guess it's why this isn't my favorite Spider-Man film is there is I think a fairly acute lack of emotional depth or resonance in this movie um thinking back on the, the series Every, all, every single one of all five previous Spider-Man films made hit me emotionally way harder than this one ever does. Even Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Both those films got me close to crying in, at certain times because of, of how, how well they were in tune with the characters. This one, I don't feel like it ever really... I, I mean, I'm not even sure Peter has an arc. I mean, I think the film, the film thinks he has an arc because all if the entire film he wants to join the Avengers and at the end he says, you know what, I'm just gonna be my be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But I don't think there is any any. There's nothing in the film that makes that that makes that a necessity. Nothing happens to Peter in this film. There's nothing he learns that would change his mind. It's just kind of I kind of understand it. But it, 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 if the entire film had gone by and he said, when, when Tony offers him to become an adventurer, he said, yeah, awesome, let's do this. It would have felt completely in character with everything this film has shown. And I think that's, that's kind of a failing on the part of an arc. If the character's arc should feel like this is the natural progression, like this is what would have happened after the, the things the character has been through. Instead, it's just like, that's nice. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember almost like myself kind of being surprised when he declined it. And, you know, when he says the reason, like, I'm just going to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You do, you kind of, at least I did, I was like, wait, what what happened that caused that? Because this climactic battle that you had was, like, it had nothing to do with with the idea of being this friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. The villain that you just stopped was trying to steal from the Avengers and would have eventually gone on to have been an Avengers-sized problem. So this this battle that you just fought is the equivalent of what you would be doing there. Like, yeah, it proves you right and Tony Stark wrong. Yeah, and it's so it, exactly that's exactly it. Whereas everything that you've been saying is justified. Look, I was the one who handled this this villain that is Avengers worthy that you haven't taken seriously. I did that. But no, you're right. I'm going to be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It didn't really feel like that's where the movie was going. And they're like, oh, wait, wait, we're not quite ready as a series to put him in the Avengers just yet. So let's have him decline and say, like, and kind of pretend that that was, that was the arc we were going for. Yeah, and I think another issue with not having a lot of emotional depth is I really think Peter needed to suffer more. And I, I, that's not just because I'm like a sadist or something. I think th- there never feels like there are any meaningful consequences for his actions. And this is important because nearly every major crisis in this film is one of his own making. It's like all, all these problems that he gets into is because he ran headlong into the action without thinking. He got into, he got in over his head or he, um, gave his friend a stupid rock that blows up an elevator for some reason. Everything that happens that goes wrong in this movie is is almost all his fault. And I don't, that's not a problem 
if the character pays for it. But if this happens and the character just keeps going, it it it, it really hampers their growth. And also, I think um a big part of you know who Spider-Man is and what makes his character so good is that the fact, you know, being Spider-Man does cost him or it should. You know, he is constantly standing up as his friends. He is a terrible friend in this movie. And no one would want to talk to him after the, how many times he blew off his friends. Like, he needed to lose friends. He needed to have Liz come up and slap him. You know, he needed to be kicked off the deck, the, uh, what is it, the decathlon. He, you know, he needs to be beaten to a pulp and cry home and like, and like crawl home and cry on Aunt May's shoulder. And then, and then after all that, after losing his friends, still go out the next day and keep fighting. That is why Spider-Man is so great. But every time it looked like he would have some kind of consequence for his actions and when he should have realistically lost the friends for being so in their, in their eyes, you know, rude and inconsiderate, the film just kind of, okay, and, and moves to the next scene. That's where I think the pacing hurts it is because we never have time to stop and reckon with the damage he has caused. It just moves on and everything's just even like even losing his suit doesn't negatively affect him whatsoever. And it should. Yeah, there is definitely like a severe lack of consequences in it. When, when you think about how many times the movie addresses what what happened, it's not even like the movie doesn't even notice it. We get lines, you know. He leaves the decathlon. He leaves so many different things. And you're like, you're a good kid. Just try to stay that way, Peter. Like, wait, what? You're the principal and you're just telling him, like, get, keep your head on straight, son. And then Liz saying, I want to be mad at you, but I'm worried about you. And then at the very end saying, you know, I hope you figured out whatever it is you're going. Like, she would have kicked him in the crotch for that. <laughs> and he would have deserved it. Exactly. It, and so I, I think that, uh, something you touched on that's almost the point of Peter is that you know as a high schooler you think oh if like what if I could do this what if I could you know climb on wall like do what if I was a superhero and it's the almost in some ways the opposite of what you'd hoped it would be it's not this way to show off and to be cool but it, it's it's this like as, as Spider-Man you know just the story goes with great power comes great responsibility that's the whole point is that Whenever you can do this, it's a gift as much or as much as it is a curse. Um, and this movie just didn't really feel like that. Like going forward, he's still got a great high school life, got friends, still respected by teachers. Like it keeps, it just keeps moving on. Like nothing really happened, and you don't feel the weight of what it means to to decline yourself from being able to have this regular high school life and take on responsibilities that others aren't. Uh, and, and I don't want to just keep bringing up Sam Raimi's trilogies, but, I mean, the first two in that are seriously some of my favorite comic book movies of all time. I yeah. think they're pretty much perfect as far as the genre goes. And that's what those first two did. You know, the scene when, when he says, you know, I'm going to be Spider-Man no more, and he sees what it looks like to try to go back to what it's like, and and life is legitimately better for him. Exactly. Like, and he's happy, but he realizes after what he's done, you know, he can't do that. And so it means something. It's it is growth. It's the fact that he realizes that he has this power, and despite you know denying himself, it's something that he needs to do. It's those those first, especially those first two. They just 
they got that, you know, um, this idea of consequence and I don't know. I just like like what you've said. It's just it's kind of missing from this one. And and even Mark Webb's films got that. They beat the crap out of Peter. Like he's constantly going around with bruises, and he he and, and just there are things that happen in his life that are that are consequences of him being this hero. Um, and I do think they physically beat him enough in this movie. I do love the scene where he's buried under the building and he's just crying like a kid. That scene is, that scene, I, I think that it's filmed in a very bland, generic way, but it's still, Tom Holland's performance is so good. Or the scene where Vulture's just like pounding him onto the beach. I think they did, they got the physical beating right, but they, they, they needed to be more uh, consequences as well in his normal life. Yeah, I mean, even a movie like Amazing Spider-Man 2, what I love that that did was, you know, at the end, you know, he says... But those are the best kind. Like this idea that, you know what, screw it. I'm still going to, you know, be with the person that I love. That action has consequence. And as many problems as there are in Amazing Spider-Man 2, the consequences are driven home. And it's heavy and it means something. Um, and here, yeah, we never really have that kind of moment. And then to talk about that scene, uh, though, because I do want to say something else positive. I, I even liked the way that scene was shot, though, because it, it just felt dirty, like it was almost found footage, and it's it just feels grimy. And it, I don't want to say it was uncomfortable to watch, but it was like, it almost felt weird to be watching it for entertainment, because Tom Holland is such an amazing actor. Like, I my respect for him as an actor has really gone up after this movie, because it literally felt like I, I just paid to sit in this theater and watch this high schooler beg for his life under this rubble. It felt so real. Like, he's literally on the verge of tears. His voice is breaking. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. There is nothing but, like, unbridled fear and panic at first. Um, and so, despite the fact that I did think that, you know, uh, that, that I agree with you, that they didn't, the movie didn't quite put him through the ropes enough, that scene was just fantastic. Yeah. The thing, as I said before, this there like isn't any one single huge problem. Like, if this one thing had been changed, this film would have been better. Because this is a very good film. It's very, it's very consistent. There's uh, the direct all, all everything about it is very well made. I don't want to sound like we didn't like this film. I really like this movie. It's just it's an incredibly entertaining watch. It just felt just fluffy. I. I enjoyed it. I want to see it again. But I never really... I don't know if care is the right word. I just never felt anything. Yeah, it's. I don't really know... Because even saying felt anything... I did sometimes feel like, like... Like I was feeling something for the character. Yeah. But it is weird. And I think some of it does... It almost goes back to something we were talking about earlier. Whereas... His, his relationships... Were, were were like with his friends were used for comedic purposes and that's not a slight at that because like i said i think this is some of the best use of humor in it because it all feels natural but with there was no real relationship with aunt may there was no heart in his relationship with well not even heart there was there's no like real emotional way in which he interacted with these side characters because I, I, like the way Aunt May was portrayed in the first one, like this person that he feels like he 
he's incredibly attached to who he sees has raised him and now he's going to take care of her and even the people he owes rent to like we we kind of see the, an attachment forming in between them and spider-man 2 and there's there's emotional legitimate emotional connections that are that are beyond just fun funny relationships but like real life interactions that make you care more for this character i well I partially agree. I think everything that happened in this film feels very real to life and they feel like real relationships, but we just never got the hard stuff, which is what drama is about. You know, we got the everyday stuff, you know, the fun, but you know, the, we, 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 we don't watch movies for the everyday stuff. You know, we go there for the drama, for the heart, for them to go through hardship and come out stronger on the other side. That's why character arcs are so integral to filmmaking. Even the most, the dumbest action film is infinitely better if it has a good character arc. Um, and like, it's a, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with every single relationship he has with other characters in this movie is good, feels real, feels true to the characters, but it's never tested. Yeah, like the idea that, you know, he has this identity that he has to keep secret. To me, that's that's where the drama of the story should come into play. You know, he's... Of all the characters, he's, I think, like the only one that actually has a secret identity that he has to protect. <laughs> Which is rapidly going away now. Yeah, and it's, you know, both times, like, the significant characters in the movie find out, it is, instead of, like, being this serious moment, just thinking about, you know, when Harry, obviously the context is entirely different in that movie, but, you know, when Mary Jane or when Harry finds out who he is, like, it it's it's very important and it means something and both times the character found out that he was spider-man in this both scenes were played for laughs and i i laughed at both <laughs> okay this is a change that i do like you know we we are constantly comparing it back to the old films and i kind of hate doing that because I, I think every film should stand on its own and i only want to do that in a case where the older film did it better i think in this case this is a good change i i like that some people know I like that he has the guy in the chair. I like it, it's it's such an it it brings another great dynamic that we haven't seen before in Spider-Man that I think did enrich the film. So I I definitely like that they find it like that they find out, um, but the, they find out in Raimi's movies as well. It's just I kind of wanted it. I wanted there to be some sort of meaning and drama behind it. Like just thinking about the the daredevil netflix series you know when foggy initially finds out like it's it it completely changes and i mean it's going to be different here because they're teenagers <laughs> you, yeah the their teenagers gonna be like that it's the coolest thing i've ever seen but i don't know i just can you summon an army of spiders <laughs> i mean he's asking all the questions everybody would ask but i don't know there, there just didn't feel like there was the drama that goes with this is the one character that they can really do that with now and they kind of played all their cards from the get-go. They probably played all their cards with, I am Iron Man. Which is why I was kind of like, I don't know, I, I thought it was gonna, it it would be cool to, to kind of go back to that old school, like, this is my secret identity that I can't have people know and I have to protect others from, like, this whole series doesn't have that. And so I thought, I was just kind of expecting this to be the one where they actually do get to play with that since... 16 movies in and they've never had to play with that mm -hmm. I, I can both sides though i think that we have had five spider-man films 
I think this 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 new dynamic was worth the loss, you know. Yeah. Uh, what are you? So, what are your rankings for the the Spider Man series now that we have this one? So, I still hold. Honestly, I know everybody says Spider Man Two is like clearly the best ever. I kind of hold Spider Man Two and Spider Man One, both of Raimi's first ones, as essentially equal mm-hmm. footing. Like Defoe as Green Goblin and Molina as Doc Ock are the standard, in my opinion. Because a lot of people would say Heath Ledger as the Joker is, but you can't do that. like he. That's an entirely different beast because he he was a character, but he's not. He's not, he's not a character. He just yeah, it's weird to me. These Defoe and Molina are the characters that you like. This this is the kind of villain that we deserve as an audience. Like entirely well rounded, visually distinct, given full arcs and motivations. And insanely campy. Um. <laughs> yeah, but it, in a way that just works so freaking well. Okay, so yeah, so I, I put them pretty much together holding number one. I put Homecoming after that. Um, not super close to them, but closer than I thought I was going to. I This did not get as close, or this this got closer to them than I thought it would. Uh, and then after that, <laughs> I actually do put Spider-Man 3 after that. Um, just because... As many mistakes as there are in that movie, it is able to kind of ride off of all of the all of the insane amount of work that it put in the first two. And you know, I I like a lot of the things that they actually do with with Sandman and you know with Harry. I think he gets a great conclusion to his arc. Um, Venom is terrible, whatever. Topher Grace is one of the biggest miscasts in any of these movies. <laughs> um, and Emo's. <laughs> Peter is just the worst thing imaginable, but it's still like that movie's just so much fun to me. So that's that's at third, and then probably Amazing Spider-Man one, and then Amazing Spider-Man two. Yeah, I I also rank the uh, the two Spider-Man one and two very close together. Um, like each one kind of has strengths, the other one doesn't. But I think that they're both very they're two of the most sturdy film like superhero films i've ever seen the screen the screenwriting is like it's like genre defining i think and every superhero film has could learn something from those movies just in how beautifully balanced they are um and they just struck the perfect tone like yeah they're a blend of humor and action and seriousness like it, it it all came together so perfectly in those a, t- a tone only Sam Raimi could strike, but it's beautiful. Um, yeah, that's that. I I think I I put this one pretty close, but yeah. And then I would I would do Amazing Spider-Man next, which I I think that's it has some serious plot holes, but I think as a whole I I do find it fairly decent, a fairly strong film. And then Spider-Man Three was the first uh, superhero film I ever saw, so it. It was amazing as a kid, and I, I still enjoy it. It's it's not very good, but I like it. And then Amazing Spider-Man Two. It has some of the most emotional and poignant scenes I've seen in a superhero film. But gosh, that movie's awful, <laughs> or just, or just such a mess. I don't. It it has it. It's Mark Webb is so good with the characters, but the script of that movie is so bad. Yeah, and. Is because I I do think, man. When spoilers for that, when Gwen dies, that may be the hardest I've ever been hit emotionally in any of the Spider-Man movies. 
because they had just done so much with that relationship. It was like you said, Mark's uh, Mark Webb cared about those these characters so much, and there there was so much chemistry. It just had to be in such a. It, it was in the <laughs> wrong movie, and and I actually I actually like um, Electro after he becomes Electro, even like dubstep and all. I thought that was kind of cool. Time to light my candles. Yeah, I, I don't know if I can go there. Um, yeah, and a lot of people are coming out out of the theaters kind of on a high say, oh, this is the best Spider-Man ever. It's not. Calm down, people. Take a breath. Go watch Spider-Man 1 and 2. This is a very good movie, but it's not as good as those movies. Um, I, I've kind of learned to stop listening to people's immediate reactions coming out of a theater after the people I went with uh, to see Finding Dory said it was their favorite Pixar film. So, yeah, I, I put very, I put very little weight on people's uh, immediate feelings coming out, coming out of the theater with a new movie. So, I guess just to move into our final thoughts, uh, why don't you go first? So, this this movie did exactly what I wanted it to do, which is integrate Spider-Man into an existing universe and not have it feel forced or shoehorned. Um, Tom Holland is absolutely perfect in this role. I am legitimately excited to see him again as this character. Like, I liked him a lot in Civil War, but man, he just owns every scene he's in in this movie, and I think this is some of the best casting in this series. <laughs> every, every main character in every one of these movies is the best casting in the series. That's so... T- like, they just have... Man, we need to give a real big, big pat on the back to whoever's casting these movies. Because, Except poor Ed Norton. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> he was good, though. He's awesome. better. Yeah. Um, and overall, I just... I was really worried that I was going to be the one person who's not on board with this movie, but I liked it a lot. I I am just ecstatic that I love a Marvel villain again. Um, visually, it's all really cool. It updates the character while still doing a lot of cool stuff that I'm used to seeing in the cartoons. It's just it's a really fun movie that wears its heart on its sleeve, and it it's an incredible balancing act between giving a villain an entire arc, working itself into an existing universe, focusing on his Spider-Man life and high school life. It's It has a lot to carry on its shoulders, and it does it all really competently. So I can't help but be really happy with the way it turned out. Yeah, th- this one I think stands very comfortably with like movies like Ant-Man, which is a, it's a, a film that has very little significance to the MCU as a whole, but it's just a fun genre exercise. You know, that was a heist film. This this is a high school movie. And these characters, they it, it, it fits into these tropes of that genre so perfectly. The, the, you know, the, they feel like kids. They have kid concerns. And that was that was really nice. It's, just, it's good to see, like, Marvel, you know, take on these different genres and, you know, ad, and, you know adhere to their rules and still make a good Marvel film within that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean... There's nothing else, I don't know if there's much else we can say about Tom Holland, but he's he's phenomenal. Michael Keaton's villain, I think, you know, third best in the MCU for me. He's he's just really he's 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 a legitimate character, a legit and oh, one more thing. Wa- watching the end of this film, I felt like he could come back as an anti-hero in future. I don't I don't know that I would want him to come back as a straight up villain again. I don't either. I love 
that he says, you know, if I knew he would be dead already. Like that is that's continuing everything you've said about this character. This idea he's had multiple opportunities to kill him. And now at this point, to tell other people his identity would only serve to kill him for the sake of killing him. It no it's no longer advantageous to you. And so it continues this whole idea that he's a real person. He doesn't just exist in this movie to be in opposition. He has feelings. He's a character. And so I would love to see him brought back in a non-villain role. Yeah, like kind of the Punisher in, in the latter half of Daredevil Season 2 or something. I think he could be a pretty cool anti-hero. Because um, like his motivation for being villainous is taken away now. You know? And and he, 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 we can see he does respect Spider-Man because he knows he's a good person. And that, and then you know, he saved his daughter's life. He saved his life. There, there's no real need for animosity there anymore. So it, I, I really hope they don't bring him back as a, as a cackling villain. That would be really disappointing. Uh, but uh, moving on with my, my closing thoughts, just I, I, I would, I would like to see John Watts come back. Um, I hope he kind of sharpens up his, his action chops. But I, you know, he he gets the most important thing with this film, which is the characters, which is the story, and he shows incredible discipline. I mean, it, it, insane amount of discipline. The, the fact that you can't tell six people wrote this script, it feels like one coherent vision. All of that, great, great. Um, and I, I got to keep harping on it. This is a very funny film. I was you, I'm chuckling the entire time. And the fact that the humor never feels forced for how funny it is, for the fact that it isn't a straight up comedy is pretty amazing. Another really solid Marvel film. I'm still... Cannot wait for the next Marvel film, and we're, and we're uh, what are 15, 16 films in, so good job. And then one last thing, Marvel, you have cast Michael Mando as Matt Gargan, who is my favorite Spider-Man villain. He's the Scorpion. He is amazing, amazing in Breaking, or uh, Better Call Saul. Please bring him back as a Scorpion. Don't let that just be a throwaway cameo. I just want to say that. <laughs> I'm sure they'll listen. I, I really hope so. <laughs> All right, uh, so that was our review for Spider-Man Homecoming. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, we would really appreciate it if you went and took a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and also, if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We are there as Underrated Podcast. And if you want to find other episodes, they are at underratedpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at underrated underscore pod. All right, now, due to some scheduling issues, uh, this will be our only episode this week. Uh, but next week we will be back with the uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, but uh, yeah, this will be all for this week. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. That's been on my radar for a little bit. Um, but man, it's it's a long movie, so <laughs> I'm gonna make sure to watch it before we record. I'm just gonna find a way to schedule it in now that summer classes have started. And so until next week when we watch that movie with a title that's just way too long, we'll see you next time. See ya.